0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now let's get into today's reading.
1: Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 16, and this is a good one. So here's what it says. He also said to his disciples, talking of Jesus, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. So he may have been too old to dig or too weak physically to dig. He said, I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward. Isn't this interesting? The unjust steward was changing people's bills or invoices so that they owed the master less money so that he would have credibility with them. He would befriend them with his master's money. That's why he's called an unjust steward. But notice The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, not because he had dealt honestly or with integrity, but that he had dealt shrewdly. In other words, that he used what he had available to him. And so his master said, Bring me an account of your stewardship, so you can't be steward anymore. So his last project before he's fired is to bring a report. Well, while he's bringing the report, he made friends using his master's money or debt that was uh, given, credit that was given, I should say, to these various uh, clients. And so this man won favor with his master's money. So the master, even though he's not happy that this unjust steward did that with his business, he at least uh, commended him that he had dealt shrewdly so he just acknowledged, man, you're slick. You know, you're, you're shrewd. You're wise, but without integrity. And then uh, listen to what Jesus said in summary. He said, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the, than the sons of light. light. Of course, Jesus is not in any way suggesting that we in the kingdom of God use less than complete integrous approaches to our life and business or stewardship of other people's resources. But what he's saying is that the sons of this world are thinking, they're processing, they're calculating, they're figuring out how to advance their agendas. And we in the kingdom of God, uh, though with integrity, we should be processing in that fervent and that shrewd in taking every opportunity to advance the kingdom of God and to see the purposes and the agendas of the kingdom of God advanced. And so Jesus goes on to say, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, unrighteous mammon. What does that mean? Unrighteous mammon. In other words, the money of this world, you know, we all use it and exchange it and so on. But he said, make sure that you're making friends with that. Not talking about you know, giving other people's money away unjustly. But make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon, that when uh, when you fail, or in other words, when you have a financial difficulty, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Let me just stop on that one because... There are a lot of people who think, well, right now I'm compromising. But if I get up to this other level, then I won't, be comp- I won't compromise anymore. And Jesus said, no, that's not true. If you are faithful in what is least, you'll also be faithful with much. But if you're unfaithful in what is least, then you'll also compromise and be unfaithful in what is much, which is why the Lord can't trust us at higher levels often because we're not being faithful at the level where we are. So he goes on to say, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, there are riches that are much more valuable than the money of this world. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you can't be trusted with the money of this world, who in heaven is going to trust you with the real valuable riches in the kingdom of God, for example. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And boy, I tell you, this speaks to a lot of people who are called to do great things. But when they're serving under somebody, they're not faithful to handle the other person's goods, the other person's resources, the other person's ministry, etc., cetera, et cetera, business, uh, the way that they should handle it because, well, it's not mine. If it was mine, I'd really do things well and do it right and uh, give it all I've got. But since it's somebody else's, well, I'm not going to do that. So Jesus said, if you haven't been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you your own? See, God sees these things. God assesses these things. And he wants to see that we're faithful right where we are. Lord, help us to be that. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Interesting that he starts off, verse 13, by saying you can't serve two masters, and he ends it by saying you can't serve God and mammon. Well, mammon's not the only competitor to God, but it's probably the primary one. In other words, money seems to solve so many problems that people tend to work and make decisions to get more money or to save money. And Jesus said, you can't serve God in mammon. You're going to have to make the decision, who are you serving? Is your life about money or is your life about God? And so thankfully, our life is about God. And I pray that your life, you've determined to be about God. God, serving God. Verse 14, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, notice, he's talking about money, and now it's commenting that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Also heard all these things, and they they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Oh, we can prove our case to people, but that doesn't mean we can prove our case to God. He knows whether we're right or whether we're wrong. Jesus goes on to say, For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Folks, it takes a press to get into the kingdom of God. You don't just stumble into the kingdom of God. You don't fall into the kingdom of God. You press into the kingdom of God. And it is easier, he goes on to say, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Tittle, it would be a, a little tiny stroke uh, in uh, around a Hebrew alphabet. We would uh, equate it to a cross T and a dot of an I. And he said, not even one little tittle, the dot of an I in the Bible will pass away. Uh, Heaven and earth will pass away before that happens. Verse 18, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. These are very strong statements. And of course, it's Jesus and it's the word of God. So they're true. We need to take marriage seriously. When we marry, we should be marrying till death do us part. We should be marrying for life in other words. And uh, the way that some people marry and then divorce and then marry again and then divorce and such today is not God's standard. It's not the way it ought to be. And it and as Malachi says, the second chapter, I believe, it it causes uh, one's garments to be filled with violence. Uh, divorce is a violent act. You may think, oh, we were amicable. We were you know, we we processed it well as a couple, and so on. It it causes violence, and it really adversely affects children. But uh, people who get married, they make a covenant, and God wants us to keep our covenants. Now, of course, there were some folks that got married before they were saved, and so they went to the courthouse or the county clerk to get married and they didn't recognize that that was before the Lord. Nonetheless, uh, because it is a marriage, the Lord wants us to stay faithful to our marriages. So somebody said, well, what happens if I'm divorced? Does that mean that God doesn't forgive me? No, the Lord will forgive you. And they they might say, well, if I remarry while my ex-spouse is still living, is that considered adultery? It is. It is considered adultery. Because God considers marriage for life. And if you have two living beings who are now one of them getting married to somebody else, God says, no, I have to call it what it is, adultery. You made a lifetime commitment, and now you're making a lifetime commitment to somebody else. That means it's a breach. Adultery is a breach of a commitment. And so God's saying, you need to hear me say the standard. This is the standard. And so we really need to pray for marriages that the Lord restore a lot of marriages because there are some very unhappy and unhealthy marriages that are out there. Let me also just comment that there are some spouses that are uh, in harm's way. And Jesus is not saying that if you're being abused, that you should just stay and be abused. So separation is different than uh, Than divorce. Okay, so if you're in a vulnerable situation, you you need to be removed from that unhealthy situation where you're at risk of being abused. Uh, that's that's not the will of God, certainly. Okay, verse nineteen. This and this is this is a powerful story here. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. In other words, he was wealthy. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at at his gate, at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. Listen to that. The beggar died and was carried. What does that mean, carried? Was his body carried? No, his body stayed on the earth. But his spirit soul was carried by the angels. See, we're not our bodies. We have a body, but you are the person inside. I'm the person inside. Notice he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom we're going to find out in just a minute where Abraham's bosom was the rich man also died and was buried notice it didn't say anything about angels carrying him anywhere the rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades torments in Hades he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. It's an interesting point that here's a rich man always looked down on people like Lazarus, this beggar, you know, and such. But notice he still wants Lazarus to serve him. He's not asking Abraham, why don't you come and dip the tip of your finger in water and cool my tongue? He's saying send Lazarus over to do that. He said, for I'm tormented in this flame. So notice in this place called Hades. And by the way, Hades is a Greek word. It wasn't translated in this translation into English. Uh, It's just giving you the Greek word. What that helps with is it helps us to know whenever Hades is used that it's the same Greek word. So, for example in this same translation, New King James, in Matthew 16, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. Jesus said, uh, blessed are you, uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, other translations say the gates of hell. But you can see that this is the same Greek word that we're talking about here. And so there's flames, there's fire, tormenting fire in this place called Hades. Verse 25, so he asked Abraham, send Lazarus over that he can dip just the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So that's how bad the torment was. It just seemed relieving just to have a little water on a finger to cool the tongue. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. So so notice, they can talk to each other or I might say yell to each other across this gulf. But on the Abraham side, there's comfort. On the Hades side where the rich man is, there's torment. And Abraham goes on to say, and besides all this... Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he, the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. So notice he still has love for his brothers. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. What does that mean? They have Moses. Moses was dead (laughs) by this time, right? They have Moses and the prophets. Well, Moses is talking about the law and the prophets is talking about the rest of the Old Testament. In other words, Abraham saying, I don't need to send Lazarus. They have the Bible. They have the scriptures. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Very powerful passage that shows us a number of things. Here's one thing. Uh, Father Abraham sent Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So notice Lazarus still has fingers and the rich man still has a tongue. Isn't that interesting? See, a lot of people think that, well, the tongue, that's only physical. But the person on the inside, spirit, you don't have a tongue. You don't have fingers. No, you do. <laughs> In fact, your spirit looks virtually identical to your body, except it's its not a physical body. It's spirit. See? But you still have fingers. You still have eyes and ears and a nose. So if you come out of your body and we could see you as a spirit, uh, then we would see you and we, we'd recognize you. And notice the rich man's recognizing Lazarus. Send Lazarus. He could see Lazarus there with Abraham. So there's still a recognition, even though their bodies are, are you know, up on the earth and likely being buried, there's still a recognition in the Spirit. So that's interesting. What's also interesting is that <clears throat> this is before Jesus died and was raised from the dead. But everyone who put their faith in salvation through the Messiah to come, they were carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And so that's what it was called. But it was in this cavity in the earth, in this Hades uh, cavern or cavity in the earth. But there's the torment side and there's the comfort side. Everybody who believed in Jesus to come, though they wouldn't know his name, uh, were on the comfort side, but everyone who didn't, Receive and believe. We're on the torment side. Well, once Jesus died and was raised from the dead, Ephesians chapter four tell us that He led captivity captive. Those that were in captivity down there in Abraham's bosom, He led them captive. He carried them up to heaven. And now the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So now that Jesus has died, paid the price, and He's been raised from the dead, now we don't have to go to a holding place. Now we can go directly. Thank God to heaven. Well, there you have it. Luke 16. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter
0: 17. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman, And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called the Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman.